I think maybe today is where it all kind of culminates, maybe the most important of the messages. And as I, as I was thinking about it, I was, I was remembering how much I really like to watch people. I don't know if you do that. Sometimes I do it out in the cafe, and sometimes I do it in the mall or at the coffee shop, which by the way, we have a brand new local coffee shop in Goldsboro, Middle Grounds, yes. You need to go support Jess, tell Jess where you're from, tell her I sent you, and you're so glad they're in Goldsboro, okay? Uh, Jess is from Goldsboro. She started one in Kinston because we had Starbucks, and now come, he, she's back here in Goldsboro, and I really like Jess and, um, and, and just all the folks there. It's really, really great, and their coffee is better than Starbucks. It's better than everybody's around here, so just swing by downtown, stop in for a minute. If you want a meeting with me, we'll go. We'll go right there. Yep, just let me know. Um, anyway, anyway, I like to watch people. And there's something I've noticed, and I noticed it maybe most when I did kids' ministry, right? The one time in children's ministry, I had to go back and like apologize to all the parents. I had this kid, we were playing this game. I told him to wait right here. We're going to start in 30 seconds. He ran off and ruined the game for everyone, and it kind of got to me that day. I was young. I think I was 21, and lit into this kid in front of his parents. It was bad. I think I came this close to losing my first job in ministry. The kid wouldn't do what he's told to do. And at that point, I determined my kids weren't going to be that kid. Right? My kids are not going to be that kid. I tell you, the best time to write a parenting book is before you have kids. Yeah. I asked my kids permission if I could tell some stories from when they were younger. And I remember, uh, and they said yes. They said it was okay. I, I don't tell stories on a family unless they give me permission. So Sophia was uh, about two years old. We were at my parents' house. And, and Anita had given her some instructions. And as you can imagine, as kids do, I can't, I mean, your kids probably never did this, but she said, no. <laughs> no. Anita explained to her, this is not how it works. I give instructions, you follow. And she said, no. (laughs) Anita said, well, you can do what I asked you to do, or you can get a spanking. She balled up that fist, put it on her hip, and said, spank me. (laughs) Two years old. Where does this come from? A lot of her mom in her. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) And she... uh, And she got spanked. Never did that again. There was once when Noah was, he was probably about a year old. I don't even know if he was walking yet, crawling. We were at uh, in-laws. It always happens around somebody else, right? Never never was just you. So we're we're at my in-laws. He's playing with this Mr. Potato Head giant thing and all these pieces that go in this thing, right? And it's time to eat. And I said, Noah, okay, clean it up. He said, No. What do you mean, no? Explain to him, this is not how this works. I am your father, you are the child. I give instructions and you follow them. Simple, easy. No. No. Everybody's watching. They're like, come on, let's just go eat. Just let it go. Like, let it go. Don't tell me what to do. (laughs) And so... What proceeded to happen through many of Noah's tears and me holding back tears is I would take, I took his hand 
And we physically went around the room and picked up each piece and put it away. He's crying the whole time. I'm holding it back. Dad's not crying. We have a little moment afterwards. We hug. We go eat. Again, lots of mom. But Sophia. Sophia had another one. Sophia is great. This one happened after we moved here. And uh, she was about, uh, I don't know, she thinks she's still in that two range. Terrible twos, I guess. Um, and she had watched a movie while eating at a little table, a little chair in the living room. And I put away the table and said, Sophie, put away your chair. No. Sophie, put away your chair. No. Sophie, put away the chair now. I escalated, you know, dad, voice, the whole, the whole thing. No. Said, Sophie, how about this? You can put away the chair. I'm going to go take your favorite toy out of your room, and it'll be my toy. Go ahead. So I did. I went in and got her favorite toy and started to walk by. She's crying and dancing. (laughs) And the chair's still sitting there. For 30 minutes, I went in to her room with a stop for a conversation each time, both of us escalating, and I get another toy and another book until there is this massive pile of little girl toys and books in my bedroom. And finally, I was so tired of it. I got down on one knee and said, Sophie, Daddy just really needs you to put this chair away. <laughs> okay, Dad. I put it away. What, what just happened? People don't like to be told what to do. We tell these stories a lot in our house because they're funny. But you know why we tell you know why they're funny? Because they're my story and they're your story. Right? Because it's not just that people don't like to be told what to do. I don't like to be told what to do. That's why Hydra Church is the way it is. Because I don't like to be told what to do. I like to be told what to wear. Do you know in this basketball league I coach, they make me wear a Carolina UNC blue shirt. Like, I, I cringe to put it on every week. Like, I almost don't. Like, I, I think I'm going to find a big coat to wear instead over it. Um, there was one time they told me, you have to wear khakis and polo shirt tucked into the office at a church. I don't know why, but that was their rule. So I just took a step forward, wore a shirt and tie into the office because, well, you're not going to tell me how to dress. I'm going to choose, choose for myself. Right? I, I don't like to be told what to do. Right? Uh, that's all of us. So why don't you help? We're just going to have this kind of therapeutic moment, and you say it with me. We're going to say, I don't like to be told what to do. On three. One, two, three. I don't like to be told what to do. Some of you didn't say it. It's that deep in you. You didn't even say it. Don't tell me to say that, Pastor. Do you know what we call that? Authority issue. Authority issue. And that brings us to the third temptation of Jesus. Because none of us like to be told what to do. But the truth is, we all bow to authority. We all bow to authority. The question is, who and when? To whom and when do we bow to authority? Because we all bow to authority. Parent, teacher, coach. We all bow to authority when the state trooper pulls us over. With state, federal governments, whatever. We all bow to authority. Military guys, women, you know what I'm talking about. We all bow to authority. The question is, to whom And when do we bow to authority? So let's go back to Matthew 
chapter 4. It's where we've been digging in. It's where we have been looking into the life of Jesus in this kind of hinge moment that allows us to see what grew in him during 30 years of obscurity so that he could do the ministry he did in three years in the public eye. So we're going to look Matthew chapter 4. You can go right back there. Use the, the Bible in front of you. You can use your phone, whatever works for you. If you're looking it up in the Bible for the first time, just start in the middle Start working your way toward the back. You'll find uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you get into some long, weird-to-pronounce words, start moving your way back toward the middle. Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. And it says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For forty days and forty nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Here we have the temptation of appetites and Jesus being tempted to see whether or not he will submit to his appetites, whether his appetites will rule his life or whether the truth, whether the Father will rule his life. And he's, he, at this point, he says to him, No, The scriptures say people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we see him. He trusts in the Father enough that he's not going to be lured away by appetites. And then in verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you're the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Here we have him, him tempting him again with the applause of people, the acceptance of people, and how easy it is for us to choose our actions by what will get us liked or accepted or the applause of someone because we don't realize that our Father in heaven has been applauding for us from before the time we were born. And Jesus, Jesus understands this, this secure identity in who the Father says that he is. He understands how to, how, to, how to tame his imagination, how to discipline his imagination. He says back to him, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Clearly, his loyalty to the Father is greater than his appetites or his need for applause, need for acceptance. And so the the devil says one more time, verse 8, next the devil took him to a peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He says, I will give it all to you, he said, if you'll kneel down and worship me. Verse 10, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. In this final temptation, Satan offers to Jesus the kings of the world and all their glory. Some versions might say that I will give these to you because they've been given to me. He offers him authority if he will just bow to Satan's authority. All he has to do is bow for a moment in this secret transaction and he will have the authority and the glory and the power over all of the kingdoms of the world. All you have to do is just bow down for a moment. Just just kneel for a moment. 
said his, his desire to be what God wanted him to be was, was strong enough and that, it, that he was able to face the temptations of appetite. So when, it, when desires rose up in him, he was able to put them in the right place because of his loyalty to the Father. When, when he was offered the applause, the attention, the acceptance of the world, the influence that comes with that, he was able to set that aside because he wanted to trust in his Father's timing. And now, he pushes one last time. He plays on Jesus' desire to make a difference in the world. He plays on Jesus' desire to make a difference in the world and have influence. Right? And he offers him authority. He knew. He knew if he could get Jesus focused on who was in charge. If he would get Jesus focused on who was calling the shots and who would, who would decide his destiny then he could get Jesus to a place where he was serving only himself. It seems like a not that big a deal, but can you imagine what must have played through Jesus' mind? What may have even been whispered as he has this desire, he's here for the simple purpose of saving humanity, of making a difference, of transforming our violence and hate into love and service of one another, where we recognize that the will of God is the common good. He was trying to change everything. And, and, and Satan is offering him a chance to do just that. He says, here, I will give you all of the authority and all of the kingdoms and all of the nations. Can you imagine what you could do with that? Could end all abortions, all child prostitution. Make sure no one ever went hungry again. Rescue every abused creature in the world. Find a home for every homeless soul. Provide work for the jobless. Justice for the oppressed. Ensure that the elderly are never abandoned. Offer an education to every deserving student. Or, or protect our natural resources. End wars before they even begin. Can you imagine what temptation this must have been in that moment? Here is a shortcut to everything you want. The very reason you came, Jesus, all you have to do is bow down to me and it's all yours. It's all yours. The whole world to do whatever you want. This lure, it appeals to our desire for influence and to make a difference. But the hook, the hook is hidden in the price we pay. We lose our souls in the process. Because we become consumed with taking and having and gaining more and more authority and influence and power. And all the while we tell ourselves, it's so I can make a difference. It's so one day I can make a difference. I'm building this platform to make a difference. Or we work, we work, we work, we work. We're moving up the ladder, gaining authority, gaining power. And we, we look at our family and we say, it's all for you. And we're the only one who believes that lie. We're the only one hooked by that lure. Just bow down, Jesus. The whole world is yours. You know, if we're familiar with Scripture, we might at a glance say, well, this probably wasn't really all that big a temptation for Jesus. I mean, after all, Revelation eleven five reads this way. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there was a loud voice shouting in heaven, the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ Jesus. 
and he will reign forever and ever. Everything Satan is offering to Jesus is promised by his father in eternity and for eternity. He will have all of this forever and ever if he can trust in the father's timing. All Jesus has to do is wait. Trust the father's ways and trust the father's timing. So this is what we see is that the real temptation The real temptation is to trade the eternity for now. The real temptation is immediate gratification. The real temptation is choosing now. I mean, what what kind of fool trades eternity for what won't last? What kind of fool would ever trade all the cookies for one cookie right now? This, This kind of fool. I mean, maybe you can relate. God makes you and I all kinds of promises about freedom, about peace. He makes all kinds of promises about providing for us. He makes all kinds of promises about the life we can have in Him that has hope for now and stretches into eternity. He makes us all kinds of promises about our place in the kingdom of God. And we trade it for what we want right now. We trade, like, don't tell me what to do. I I decide what's important. I decide what I want. I decide who I'll be. I'll decide what I'm called to. I decide. I decide what I do with my body and when I do it. With whom I do it. I decide. God, you don't get any say in that. God, you don't get to sit. I made this money. This is my time. Maybe one day, God, but I decide. I'm in charge. This is my life. <laughs> and how many of us, and how many of those all around us, how many of the people we love are trading eternity for right now? How many of us do it? I mean, think about this. Just a simple example Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Jesus is teaching. These are the words of Jesus himself. Do not store up treasures on earth. Just right there. Like, how many of us have storage places to keep the treasures we're storing up on earth? Where moths eat and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there is the desires of your heart. Some versions might say there your heart is also. There the desires of your heart will be also. So he tells us, store up treasures in heaven instead of on earth. And we keep buying stuff that breaks, that rusts, that runs out. That, that, that fall apart, that people can steal, that don't last. Two practical things. Now, and this isn't to guilt anyone, but just think about it. Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven instead of earth. What do you treasure? Where is your treasure? What do you spend money on? 
Are you giving to God's work or are you just choosing to buy stuff? Will you give as much to God this year as you spend on a car payment? What about watching TV? Cable, Netflix, Prime, Hulu, and any 50 other things. Did God even, did we invest even as much in the things of God? When you get a bonus, or maybe a tax return, it's about that season, or a fifth week check, because you get paid weekly and there's four fifth weeks a year. What do you do with it? Do you have it spent before it comes and you're just paying back your credit card? Do you already have it spent in your mind so that it's, it's gone within 24 hours? Do you even think about what you might invest it in when it comes to the kingdom of God? Like we want to post, we want to post about these laws in, in New York, but did we give anything to the pregnancy center this year? Where are we storing up treasures? Because that's where our heart really is. Do you want to know where your heart is? Look at your bank account statement from last year. Where is your heart? It's kind of heartbreaking. We struggle with this, and I get it. Where is our heart? And that's just money. Think about time. Where do you spend your time? Facebook, prayer iPhone, Bible, but it's Bible on the iPhone. That helps a little bit, right? We trade things of eternal value for things that rust and break and will be forgotten by the end of the year. And we say, don't tell me what to do. This is my money. Don't tell me what. You don't know. I get it. That's why we don't talk about money a lot. It's a hard one. But if God doesn't have our money, God doesn't have our heart. If he's not in charge of the checkbook, the debit card, the credit card, then he's not in charge of our heart. You know, we've heard this phrase, it's the it's the tip of the iceberg. And that's kind of in this, this metaphor for what we've been talking about. As we see the tip of the iceberg, we see 10%. But the, the reality of something is what's hidden and what grows and it develops when no one's looking. Because nobody else is going to audit your checking account but you. Right? You're not making excuses to anybody else but yourself. Nobody, nobody else is telling you, how to do and what to do with your time other than those hours you've already committed to work. Right? You get those decisions. And it's the decisions we make when no one's looking that determines who we are. 90% of who we are is hidden from the world. And it will either set us up for success or sabotage our future. Who are we when no one's looking and no one's checking and no one's asking? Do we say, God, don't, not now. Don't tell me what to do. You don't get a say here, God. You know, we hear him whispering about that person we're dating. God, don't tell me what to do. 
He says, I'm, I'm just trying to help you. He, we hear him tugging to get involved, to do something, to help someone or whatever. He's like, don't tell me what to do. We hear him calling us. We know. He wakes us up on Sunday morning and we decide that day. Right? It's not a decision we've made beforehand that determines who we are. It's not a rock in the stream of our life that the life has to flow around. Right? It's just a pebble being thrown down the way. We've been looking at the strengths that can be formed in obscurity by looking at the strengths that were formed in Jesus. And we kind of use these three to, to set it up. The, he had the strength to detect a lie. He had the strength to stand on truth. And the strength to overcome temptation. And so we go to the white boy. I want to look at this idea of the lie and the truth. Right? The lie and the truth. He was able to detect the lie so that he could stand on truth. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Just write these words, and it's, it's um, you'll, we'll explain it in just a minute, but right here under lie, you can just write source and permanent. And then, and then over here under truth, you can write straw and temporary. And see, what Satan was doing was tempting him with a lie. He had a lie that's a lure. And he was tempting him to think that he is the source of authority. He is the source of his authority in his life. And that that authority is permanent. He was tempting him to think that he is the source of the authority that he has. And that he is the permanent. It will always be there. But the truth is... Our authority is like a straw and it's temporary. Here's what I mean. You'll go to lunch this afternoon in all likelihood because you're good Southerners, you'll get some sweet tea. And they will hand you a straw to put in it. Some of you men will be like, no, we don't use straws. We will put that straw in and you're going to drink that tea. Imagine the tea as the authority and you are that straw. Any authority we have over ourselves, over anyone else, the influence that we have is simply like a straw. It is the authority given to us by God that passes through us and will one day stop passing through us. Let me give you an example. I'm dad to Noah and Sophia. And I can tell stories about them when they were young and they were yelled no, and I'm sure we're getting ready to head into the teenage years, and those will come back up. They're pretty remarkable right now. And I, I have a job in our home. I am the authority, the straw that, that God has placed in their lives for this season that will end somewhere in the next 10 years when they go off to school. They go, they go and become adults. That authority will end. It is temporary. And during that time, I have a job. That if I had not gotten on the floor with that one-year-old and moved his hand, I would have failed. Because it's my job to teach them to trust and submit to my authority so that one day when my authority is gone, they can trust and submit to the 
true source and permanent authority of God. Because that authority never goes away. The creator, the sustainer of all life is the authority over all creation. And he is the source of all authority. I am just a straw. I am just a straw here for a season. And when I teach them to obey me, I am really teaching them to obey God one day. And if I don't teach them to do that, then there's going to come a day they're going to have a really hard time doing what God wants them to do. They're going to have a really hard time loving others sacrificially. They're going to have a really hard time when they're asked to sacrifice their rights. They're going to have a really hard time when they're called to serve, when they're called to give, when God wants some of that first check they earn at that first job. They're going to have a hard time with that if I don't teach them while I have authority. That's my job is to teach them to understand God. But that straw is going to go away. Right? So some of us, this little side note, parents, some of us with our kids little, step up. You need to teach them to obey your authority so that they know how to obey God one day. Some of you who are parents of kids who have moved out, you need to realize your authority is a straw and it's done. They have to make their own decisions. Now, if I'm doing my job right, that happens before they move out. This week, Noah was with some friends and he called me and he says, or he texted me, he says, Dad, can I watch this movie? He was, he was looking for me to make a decision for him, pointing it out. Like, okay, Dad said, I said, Noah, last summer we went on a camping trip and we talked about values, the things I've been teaching you about how you run your life and what the results will be. And this is your choice now. It's a simple thing, small thing, just a movie. But it's your choice. You have to decide. Will you submit to the authority of God or not? And I'll have the opportunity then in that safe environment to come back after and teach one way or the other. So if I'm doing it right, that straw goes away sooner and they learn sooner to trust the authority of God and to follow the authority of God. It's not easy because I like to think that I'm the source of my authority. I brought you into this world. I can take you out. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that anymore? Like, I guess the like old PC thing, you don't say, I mean, that's what I heard growing up. We think we're the source and that it's permanent, but the truth is, it's just a straw and it's temporary. And we all submit, we all bow to authority. The question is, to whom and when? So how is it that when Jesus had the opportunity to decide for himself, to take on the whole world and all of the authority so that he could do all of the good that was in him, how is it that he was able to submit to the Father's authority? What strength was in him that allowed him to overcome? Because once he had detected the lie and recognized the truth, that's not enough, right? Knowledge is not power. Knowledge is the potential of power. That's why educated people still do stupid stuff, right? Because that's not the source of power. Like, we have to understand that he had another level. Because he wasn't, okay, I see the lie. Here's the truth. Many of us, we do that every day. Here's the lie. Here's the truth. Go into the lie. We do, because we're dumb. But he had this other strength, right? And that strength was the strength to overcome temptation. There are two pieces of that. The first is he had an eternal strength perspective. 
he had an eternal perspective. When he looked at his life, he realized that life is just not this moment, right? It's not tonight. It's not today. It's not just tomorrow. Life is something that goes on into eternity. And what I'm living for, where my treasure is, where my heart is, is not right here. It's not so invested in right now that I've got to just take it all right now, whatever I can get, because there may not be anything tomorrow. We recognize that we have promises into eternity, life into eternity, truth into eternity, hope and peace and joy that is bigger than this moment. Bigger than grabbing authority and saying, don't tell me what to do, I decide. And I'm going to do whatever I want. But we live there and we struggle in those moments. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Because we don't have an eternal perspective. The second thing that Jesus had that many of us that I lack so often is humility. He had a humble perspective. Philippians chapter 1 says this, or chapter, I think it's chapter 2 actually, sorry. It says, don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think that equality with God is something to cling to. Do you realize when we say, you're not going to tell me what to do, I get decide to decide, we're grabbing at equality with God? We're acting as if we're the God over our own lives. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege and he took the humble position of a servant. He was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God. He bowed to the authority of his Father in heaven and to him alone. So when the moment came, because he had understood that life is not just about this moment. God, I can rest in these 30 years of obscurity because I know life is not right this second only. God, I have this sense that this is so much bigger and beyond what will happen in this 30 years or the three years after. This goes into eternity and that's so much bigger and grander and better than anything I can produce in and of myself with my own decisions. And he learned in that to trust the timing and humbly obey the Father because the Father had the best interest of his Son. I know That if my children spend 18 years rebelling against my authority, they're going to be miserable. So will I, but they will be miserable. It will cause them lots of heartache, lots of pain, lots of trouble. It will be misery. And if I can do something to try to stop that, if I can put something in their way so that they learn to trust the authority, the same is true of us. Right? We rebel against the authority of our Father and we wonder why life is so hard. Why things don't go our way. Why things are so miserable and difficult. Why He keeps putting roadblocks up to get our attention. He says, if you'll trust and obey, then I will open the door to such a better life. There are blessings that you forfeit when we rebel against Him. When we say, no, you don't get to tell me what to do. 
There are things we miss out on. Opportunities that He can't give to us. Because we can't handle them. And it's in the little things. Remember Jesus said, those who can be trusted with little will be given much. It's in the obscurity that we learn to trust and obey with humility. Satan comes at key moments in our lives like he did Jesus. And he comes in small ways every single day. And he tries to catch us with our appetites. He tries to catch us with a seeking the applause of others. And he whispers in our ear, no one can tell you what to do. Your way is better. Take charge. Whose authority are you really going to submit to? He knows if he can get us thinking it's my way, then he can accomplish his goal. Because his goal in all of these temptations is singular. To disconnect you from your Father in heaven. To disconnect you from God. Jesus told us he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he said that he came to give us life. We're also told here that Satan comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And if he can disconnect us from Jesus, he has us. If he can disconnect us from our Father in heaven, he has us. Our disobedience is his prize. It's all that he's after. He knows that disobedience or refusal to submit to the authority of God cannot be confined to one concealed area of our lives. Like a, like a, like a virus, it spreads, refusing quarantine, continually stretching its infectious fingers into every area of our lives, including those that had been previously given over to God. He takes over every area of our mind, our hearts, our relationships, our actions, until he rules us. He lures us with immediate gratification, appealing to those appetites. He he lures us with people's affirmation as he appeals to our longings for acceptance and applause. He appeals and lures us with the world, power, possessions, stuff by appealing to our desire for influence and authority. The seeds, though, the seeds of secret strength are in you. The seeds of secret strength are in you. And if we're willing to go into the desert places, the obscure places, to embrace them and receive them, when no one's looking, those strengths will grow. They are not downloaded, fully powered. They grow in us. Strengths to be anchored in God's word. Strengths of self-control, a proper view of God, an unshakable identity, trust in God's timing, a disciplined imagination, an eternal perspective, and humility. But the greatest strengths come when we realize our weakness. And we submit to the authority of the Father. The earlier we learn it, the more heartbreak we miss. And this is where so many of us get stuck in life. I can do what I want. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. We reach out for that authority. I decide. I can do what I want. For about 15 years, I've had this little piece of paper in my office. It says, it's a quote by St. Ignatius. It says, there are very few people who realize what God would make of them if they abandoned themselves into his hands and let themselves be formed by his grace. 
to whom are you bowing? Yourself? Which is really to bow to Satan. It's really to say, I mean, this, this whole idea of, of demonizing is, is to turn inward. To think that it's about us. So who, whose authority, whose authority are you bowing to? Who chooses for you? Who rules your life? Your checkbook, your calendar, your effort. Who, who, who controls the TV remote in your house? Who, who chooses how you take care of your, your body or your mind or your spirit? Who's in charge? Like Jesus, we are invited today to bow to the authority of God. To recognize in this moment and to confess Jesus is Lord. In Acts it says that anyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord, anyone who says he's in charge, will be saved. Saved from ourselves. From the brokenness we produce by trying to do it ourselves, which is called sin. Saved from our rebellion from the heartbreak and the loss we would create. So I wonder, will you bow? We're going to do something we don't normally do here. But confessing Jesus as Lord is easy when no one knows or sees. And some of us, some of us need... To decide to bow today. And we need to physically bow. Not just our head. We need to get on a knee. Maybe our knees and just say. God I have been doing it my way. I have been telling you for so long. I'm in charge. Don't tell me what to do. Maybe it's in one area or two areas. Or five areas. Or, or just your whole life. And God today. I, I, I see. That. That the, even the authority over myself is, is temporary. That I really have so little control over this world. And, and I've been running from you. And I've been doing it my way. And I've been, I've, been, I've, been, I've been trying to take authority that's not mine to take. And from today forward, Jesus is Lord. You're in charge. I bow to your authority and I will do my best to live my life your way instead of my way. Have to, there's no magic prayer or magic words. It's just tell him. Today I'm done being in charge. You're in charge now. So we're going to take a minute. They're going to just play a, a pad, just some little background music. I mean, I'm not going to take long. It's not about pressure. It's no obligation. This is pure invitation of Jesus himself. To discover the secrets of strength. Becoming who you were created to be. By bowing to the authority of the one who made you. Who loved you. Who loves you. Who gave everything for you. He says if you want to rebel. If you want to do it your way. You're going to have to do it over my dead body. The one who is raised who invites us into eternity, 
So, if you're at a place where you would want to submit to that authority, maybe for the first time, maybe again, and you want to bow, I'm going to ask you to do a physical thing, a physical act of prayer. Just come in this open space up here and get on your knees and tell him. Not out loud, just tell him. Get on your knees and tell him. Of course, you can do it in your seat. But then you could get up and pretend like it never happened. You come down with the people who love you and believe in you, and you get on your knees, there's no hiding from it when you get up. And you have a group of people here that know how to support and love and help you. So I'm just going to take a moment. You can close your eyes if you want. And if you need to come and get on your knees, then come and get on your knees. Father in heaven, I don't like being told what to do. I recognize that I am not the creator. I didn't make myself. I can't sustain myself. can't save myself or control my world. You are the source of life, of truth, of the way. And so today we bow. We bow to your authority. We're so sorry for the ways we've tried to we've tried to take charge. We've tried to manipulate and make our destiny our way. We've tried to short circuit the sacrifice or the the discipline or the or the laying down of ourselves. And today, God, we choose to we choose to submit and say, Jesus is Lord. Would you send unto us your spirit to give us the strength and grow the strength in us to live your way every day? Help us, forgive us, and set us free. Jesus said that when he sets us free, we are truly free. So free us from our rebellion. Free us from our arrogance, free us from our, our temporal perspective that sees only now so that we can see something bigger. We can see you. We can see what you're calling us to. And we would have the courage just day by day in each small decision to put you in charge of our lives, to recognize you as the source, to say Jesus is Lord. Help us. We need you. And as we get up from this place, would you be our strength? Because we are so weak. In Jesus' name, amen.